is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and our theme today is love. And on this, the final Sunday of Advent, love is not simply a theme for Advent. Love is the supreme characteristic and the foundational attribute of all the fruit of the Spirit, and it is the supreme command given to us by God in His Word. Our text today is John 3.16. This familiar verse contains the words of Christ that give us the reason for His advent, or to use the modern catchphrase, the reason for the season. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Word of the Lord. Father, there is the gospel summed up in a few short words that you loved so greatly that you sent your only begotten Son. And by your grace, whoever believes in your Son will not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for that promise. Lord, help us to be a people who not only have a knowledge of that promise, but that promise would become so real in us. And we would know and we would feel the need of that promise of hope and salvation and of your love. A hope salvation and a love that we do not deserve, but yet you so freely have given to us in your Son. Father, this is the season we call Christmas. Christmas is the celebration of the Savior. And we thank you, Father, that Christmas is not something that comes once a year. But the celebration of the Savior is something that we should carry with us, hold with us, indeed participate in each and every day, and most especially on the Lord's Day when we come together as your people to worship you just as we have today. Father, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for the love you've poured out. Help us to be a people that in turn pour your love out all of those around us, that they too would know the love and the light and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 3.16 sums up the Christmas story as well as any verse of Scripture. The details surrounding the birth of Christ, the birth of the Christ child, are not chronicled in John's account as they are in Matthew's and Luke's. Thus, we may not as readily associate John's gospel with the Christmas story. And if that's the case, that would be a mistake. For the story of Christmas is the story of the Savior who has come. And so when we celebrate Advent, we're not just celebrating the 
the Christ who has already come. We're celebrating that Christ who was born in Bethlehem, but we're also celebrating the Christ who is yet to come. What the Holy Spirit gives us through the Apostle John is an amazing record of the Christmas story, a story that begins before the beginning, when the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is the same Word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, having the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John writes. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is John who gives us the record of Christ, describing in his own words the reason for his coming. John 3.16 is therefore a record concerning the advent of Christ, provided by Christ himself, and it all begins with God. For God. It all starts with God. Pun intended here, he is the one who has no start. No beginning and no end. He is the eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one. God is the reason for the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ was not a response to anything initiated by man. The coming of Christ was initiated by God in eternity. It was and is the eternal plan and purpose born out of the eternal resource of God's love. Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means Christ did not come because of any merit we may demonstrate or possess. This or the impetus for the coming of Christ was not with man, but with God alone. To man be none of the glory, to God be all of the glory. For God sent his Son because of his great love, not ours. Apart from God, we have no love, for God is love. For God so loved. The motivation for the coming of Christ is God's great love, a love originating in and initiated by God himself. God did not need to save us. I want us to understand this. God did not save us because he needed to. God did not save us because he was lonely without us. Those are human concepts. Those are not biblical concepts. God did not save us because he needed to save us. He saved us because he chose to save us, just as he chose to create us. God's love for us was not a response to our love for God. God is the initiator of his love. His love is a sovereign act of his grace and mercy on our behalf. It is love that moved Christ to shed the glory of heaven for the lowliness of earth. It is love that moved the word to become flesh and dwell among us. It is love that moved Jesus to descend from heaven in order to ascend the cross and utter true the words, 
concerning his work, it is finished. It is love that moved Jesus to redeem his people from their sin and save them in his resurrection life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For God so loved that he made us alive together with Christ and saved us by his grace even when we were dead in our sin. This is the measure of God's Glorious, grace-filled love that we celebrate during this time we call Christmas. But it should not be celebrated only at Christmas. In fact, we celebrate it weekly, even daily. And this is how God so loved the world. The context in which the word world is used in this verse, for God so loved the world, is sometimes misunderstood. The Jews of Jesus' day understood clearly what Jesus was saying when he uttered the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is declaring that God's saving love was for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in the whole world. Jesus was proclaiming that he had come to bring salvation to all nations, not just the Jewish nation, but the Gentiles also. In fact, now in Christ, there is no longer a distinction between the two. There is no longer a distinction of Jew and Gentile in Christ. There is now only one new man made from the two, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. In proclaiming God's love for the world, Jesus was declaring the good news of God's salvation for all people in all the world, both Jew and Gentile. God's saving love is extended to all peoples of all nations. And so our love also should be extended to all peoples. God so loved the world, meaning he will save every single kind of human being in the world, both Jew and Gentile. It does not mean that God will save every single human being in the world. One is the gospel, the other is a heresy we call universalism. The gospel is that God will save every kind of human being both Jew and Gentile. Universalism says that God will save every single human being. Jesus included all nations in his declaration of the love with which God so loved the world. He declared that God's saving love would be given to whoever in the world trusts in him. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The love that brought Jesus to earth to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin did not come from man. It came from God. 
In 1 John 4.10, John writes, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John goes on in that letter and he writes these words, We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 For God so loved the world, this is the grace of God given to the world, given to us in Jesus Christ. We do not merit his love. We do not deserve his grace or his mercy for any reason. God has extended his love to us as an act of his sovereign grace. God's love in his all-sufficient grace is constantly giving. It can do nothing else. For God so loved the world that he gave. Think about these words. God so loved that he gave. That he gave. This is a truth far beyond our ability to understand. With childlike faith, we trust in his love, but we cannot grasp it. It is beyond us. On one hand, the fact that God loved so much that he gave is a simple truth that we all can understand. When we have great love for someone, giving is not a burden, but a blessing we receive great joy from. Out of our love, we give and we find joy in our giving. On the other hand, to fully understand the depth of God's giving is something that goes far beyond what we may grasp in our finite humanity. As much as we may love, we have all found ourselves reaching the limits of our humanness. When we consider the depth of God's love and His giving, it is beyond our ability as human beings to comprehend. Where our love and our ability to give is limited, God's love and God's gift is limitless. We will never reach its end. Like God himself, his love and his gift is infinite. It is eternal. When we consider what or who God gave, it is even more incredible. When we consider not only that God gave gifts to those who were dead in their sin and opposed to him with all of their being, but God gave the gift of his only begotten son. And there is no greater gift, and there is no greater love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How astonishing to know that God gave such amazing grace to a world that rejected him. It is infinitely more astonishing to know that God gave the indescribable gift of his only begotten son to this sinful world. You do realize that every single human being living in this world is a partaker, a benefactor of God's grace. The air we breathe, the rain that falls from heaven, the sun that shines upon us, the food you will eat in your Christmas celebrations, the gifts you will give and the gifts you will receive, everything we have is grace. Because God is the creator of everything we have. So grace is something that 
everyone benefits from. But there is a grace that not everyone benefits from. God gave his only begotten son to a sinful world. A world that did not deserve his son. A world that did not deserve this indescribable gift. And he did not give this gift to every single person in the world so that every single person may be saved. But he gave this gift, a gift sufficient to save every single person, but a gift effectual to save those who God chose in his love before the foundation of the world. Though impossible to fully grasp the depth of God's love in giving his only begotten son is a revelation we should seek in ever greater measure. For in seeking to know more deeply the love of God that gave us the Son of God, we will know ourselves more clearly in relation to a holy God in His holy love. And this is why a true understanding of God's grace will never become a license for someone to sin, because we don't need a license to sin. We're born in sin. Sin comes very natural to us. We didn't have to learn it. We didn't have to decide to participate in it. We were born into it, and the only way we can escape it is to be born out of it. Consider God's love and the fact that no man is guiltless. We are all guilty before God. We are all born in the guilt of sin. That is why we must be born again. And the only guiltless man, the only sinless man to ever walk the face of this earth is Jesus Christ. He was truly without sin, yet he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is love. He did that not because he had to. He did that because he chose to. Yes, he walked in obedience to his father, but remember, the father sent the son because of his love for the world. And the love the father had for the world is the love Jesus has for the world. It is the love Jesus has for you. It is the love that took him, that moved him to the cross. The love of God and the gift of his son is something beyond the depth of our own love and our own imagination. God's love and his gift is not only beyond us, it is other than us. The God who is the source and the object of our faith is truly other than us. From the depth of his love, from the depth of his very being, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son for whoever would believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, here is that word, whoever. Again, Jesus is emphasizing that whoever in the world believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God's love, God's salvation is for all people. The whoever in this verse signals the breadth of God's salvation given to the world. Whoever 
trusts in him will be saved. God is literally going to save a world full of people. He has saved a world full of people. Whoever believes in him, this belief is not a general belief, but a specific belief in a specific person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, our belief, our trust must be in him. It must be in Christ. Christ is not a way to life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Generally, we see that whoever believes in him will be saved. Specifically, our belief, our trust must be placed in Jesus. When we look across the world, we see that anyone may be saved. You and I do not know those whom God chose in him before the foundation of the world. That's why we preach the gospel. We declare the gospel. We live the gospel before all men to all men, and we look out across the vast world and the vastness of humanity, and we know that whoever believes in Christ will be saved. And those who believe in him should not perish. Whoever trusts in him will not perish. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. And those who believe in his son, Jesus declared, should not perish. That means if you are trusting Jesus, you can know that you will not perish. That means if you are not trusting Jesus, you should know that you will perish unless you trust in him. Therefore, trust in Jesus. The gospel of Christ is not a suggestion. To believe in Jesus is not a suggestion God makes. It is a command God utters. And he has commissioned us to command men to believe in Jesus and thereby be saved. All will perish apart from faith in the Savior, but whoever believes in him will not perish. With the birth of Christ came the angelic choir declaring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That declaration of peace and goodwill signaled much more than just man's inner tranquility and outward harmony, though that is what the world desperately is seeking today. And they have no real concept of their true need. Because the peace we need First and foremost, remember, is peace with God. It is important we understand that Jesus did not come to simply give mankind the ultimate measure of serenity and stability with peace and prosperity on earth. Jesus came to save us. And we should ask the question, to save us from what? It is true that Jesus came to save us from our sin, but we must understand the implication of that truth. 
The truth that Jesus came to save us from our sin implies a deeper truth that must not be ignored, though many choose to do so in our day today. Many choose to ignore this deeper truth. We must not ignore the truth of our sin and the truth of God's wrath. To say that Jesus came to save us from the fullness of our sin is to say that Jesus came to save us from the fullness of God's wrath, a wrath that is justified. The church today does not like to talk about man's sin or God's wrath. Yet sin and wrath go together. For those who will perish, they will perish in their sin under the wrath of God, and justly so. Thank God for his love and grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves us from sin and from the wrath of God with a love that burns white hot with justified hatred for sin. The world has the concept that Jesus hates nothing and no one. That is not true. Jesus hates sin. And read the Psalms where the psalmist writes about God breaking the teeth of his enemy and hating those who hate God with perfect hatred. And you and I cannot do that in our humanity. That's why we look to the Lord. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We trust Jesus will overcome our enemies. We trust Jesus has already defeated our enemies vanquished our foes and won for us the victory. And he didn't do it in a very nice way. He did it in a very bloody, brutal way on the cross. And when he had conquered, he made an open show and humiliated openly the forces of darkness. He triumphed over them in his victory. He did it righteously and justly. Too often we find that we love our sin too much. Which is why we are in desperate need of His constant grace. This is why when we sin, we must fix our eyes firmly on Jesus. Not on our sin and not on ourself. We must look not to ourself, we must look. To Jesus, for we cannot save ourselves from sin, nor can we save ourselves from God's wrath. Only Jesus can do that. We were all perishing because of sin. We were all born under the just wrath of God, and we remain there until we are born again by the Spirit. Now in Christ, who is our life through a new creation, Jesus delivers his elect from God's wrath, taking it upon himself in our stead and thereby saving his people from sin and death and from the very wrath of God. This is the supreme love of God that saves us. This is the love with which God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Because of sin, each of us deserves to perish. We have all fallen short and we all are guilty before God. God's love for his people 
And his hatred for sin is so great that he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die, to conquer sin, to conquer death, and to save his people. Though we all deserve to perish, in his grace, God does not give to every person what they deserve. For each of his elect, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4, God will give to them what they do not deserve. Hear me, church. If you are trusting Christ, God will not give to you what you deserve. In fact, he has given you just the opposite. He has given to you what you do not deserve. He has given you his grace and his mercy. He has lavished upon you his love. As we obediently trust in Christ by God's grace, we may rest assured that we will not perish, but that we in Christ have everlasting life. In Christ, through faith, we have this everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not just save you from his wrath. He gave you the everlasting life of his son. By grace, through faith, God gives the gift of salvation, which is eternal and everlasting life in Jesus Christ. He did this so that no one, not one of his own, should perish, but all those given to Christ by the Father will be raised up in everlasting life on the last day. Not one will be lost. Not one will perish. John 6, 39. This is the great love of God demonstrated for his people in Jesus Christ. This is the love of God that was made manifest through the life and death and burial and the finished work of our resurrected Lord. Jesus is our risen and ascended Savior who is able to save us and keep us to the uttermost. He doesn't just save us, he keeps us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you hear that? He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is never not interceding on your behalf. His blood that cleanses you, that takes away your sin, has no expiration date upon it. Our great salvation in Christ is born out of his great and perfect love for us. Listen to the words of John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. The, 
the, the love that casts out fear is not your love for God. It's God's love for you. And as imperfect as our love is for God, His love for us is absolutely perfect, absolutely complete. And John is writing these words. He's, these words are recorded for us so that we can know that God's love for us is perfect in Christ. And in Christ, who we trust, we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And in the day of judgment, we will approach the throne with boldness and with confidence, not because we are presumptuous, not because we are arrogant. In fact, the, the opposite, because we are humbled in his grace. And we will know as we approach that throne that it is the blood of Jesus that brings us boldly into the presence of God. We will know for certain it is nothing of ourselves. It is all of Christ. It is all of grace. That's why the gospel is good news. If it was dependent upon us in any way, it would not be good news. The greatest love. That's what we're talking about. The greatest love greatest gift ever given. Paul writes, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. What makes the depth of God's love most unfathomable is the depth of our sin. When you think of God's great love, think of your great sin and be astonished that in the face of our great sin, God so greatly loves us. We ask the question oftentimes when we read Paul's words in his letter to the Romans where it says, for Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And We want to ask the question, why would God hate Esau before he was even born and had done nothing good or evil? And that's, that's the wrong question. The question is, why would God love Jacob? The question is, why would God love any of us? Because we are all born into sin. We are all undeserving of God's love. Yet, God loves us. And he loves us perfectly and completely in his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what makes God's love beyond our comprehension. The depth of our sin, the depth of our rejection, the depth of our rebellion against God. Remember, the reason you love him is because he first loved you. The fact that God chose you in him before the foundation of the world speaks volumes about God, about his love, about his grace, but it says nothing about us except we were available to receive it. And we were only available because God created us. Contrary to popular belief, we are not basically good people who just need some help or a better developmental environment. Not even more money for education will fix our problem, but they are futilely trying very hard. We are sinners to the core. We are sinners by birth who do not in any way, shape, or form deserve God's love 
or God's grace, yet he gives it freely to all, especially to those he has chosen for salvation. We live in a world that is ignoring and excusing sin. Sin is a word the, culture, the cultural elites and the influencers of our age have struck from their vocabulary. There is no longer sin. There is just personal choices. There is a planned effort long underway to demoralize our nation and our culture. And it has been far more successful than we want to believe. That plan doesn't go back just a few decades or even a few hundred years. That plan to demoralize humanity goes all the way back to the garden when the serpent approached Eve in the garden. And man fell for that demoralizing lie. And that demoralizing of our nation and our culture has been more successful than we want to believe, thanks in no small part to a sleeping, apathetic, and man-centric church. There is nothing consistent with God's love in our cultural or church mess. You do realize we live in a cultural mess. And much of the church is also a mess today. In fact, refusing to deal with sin, changing definitions to accommodate even more sin, and calling sin a personal choice is not only unloving, it is hateful. It is anti-Christ, in fact. What God has placed in the way to deal with this cultural train wreck is His church. That means you and me. Of any institution on earth, the church must grasp the depth of our sins so that we may more rightly grasp the depth of God's love. In doing so, we will more rightly grasp the depth of His holiness and His righteousness as well as His justice. We will never be able to believe that His wrath is not justified. It is. There is a hell that God has saved you from, and people will go there because they refuse to trust in Jesus, because they refuse to love God, because they love the darkness more than they love the light. As we become more aware of this love, we become more closely conformed to the image of our Savior. The love of God in the face of man's sin is truly an enigma. It's a mystery. It's a mystery we cannot plumb the depth of, but it is something we must recognize and thank God for, offering up the sacrifice of praise through the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. You don't have to understand why God loves you. Just, just know that He does. Well, how do I know that God loves me, Pastor? Because the Bible tells you so. And the Scripture is God's Word to you, for you. Believe it. Trust it. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. The love of God in the face of man's sin is mysterious. 
but it is true. Truly, love wins. But so does justice. So does righteousness and truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the love of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. If you have been baptized into Christ, you are welcome to this table. Young or old, as covenant members of his church and as members of his body, you are welcome to this table of thanksgiving, to feast on his bread, to drink his wine, and to experience the renewal of his covenant of grace, that you will be equipped, renewed, refreshed, empowered to go out and fulfill the commission that Jesus has given to each and every one of us to disciple the nations. Amen? Christian, welcome to the table. Welcome to Jesus. Please stand for your charge. When we consider the love of God, we should be awestruck by His amazing grace. We should also be awestruck in fear. Fear of His terrible majesty and unapproachable light and holiness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Scripture says. Thus the mystery of His love that God in His supreme holiness and righteousness would lavish upon poor sinners like us His perfect and complete love given to us in no less than His only begotten Son. His beloved Son was not only born for us, but He was crucified, died, and was buried for us to be raised for us in resurrection life, thereby saving us from our sin and from the just wrath of God. This is the story of Christmas. So when you celebrate Christmas, celebrate, yes, with feasting and fun, with trees and lights and gifts, but celebrate what Christmas is truly about, the coming of our Savior. Christmas is the celebration of love come down to us and for us. It is the celebration of Christ, not just in His birth, but all, but all his birth did mean and all his birth did accomplish through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection and ascension. In that sense, we celebrate Christmas not just once a year, but weekly, even daily, as we celebrate Jesus corporately and personally. So church, Merry Christmas. Celebrate Jesus, celebrate his love, and do it lavishly, do it exuberantly. Do not be ashamed of it, but celebrate because we have reason to celebrate Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let us sing our thanks to God.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Merry Christmas.